Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. This is a bi-weekly podcast where each episode, Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. You can follow us on Twitter at QCulture and Facebook at QCulture1. That's Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. There we share the, doc- the links to the documentaries, articles, and books we reference in each episode. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the war in Afghanistan. How's it going, Lornette? Hey, what's up, Brian? Um, hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for um, listening to Question Culture once again. Um, our views are steadily going up, so uh, thanks for that. And we're really excited for our a special Veterans Day podcast that will be coming to you soon. So we have a, a, our second guest, so uh, that should be a surprise. They said yes. <laughs> so, so we're going to – they interviewed with us, and they said yes. They, they were a 20-plus-year a, 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 a military veteran who commanded forces in Afghanistan and has a command sergeant major, and they're a really awesome person. And they were on the show um, World's Toughest Race and um, part of Team Unbroken, and her name is Gretchen Evans, and, yeah, she she's pretty awesome. Uh, I know her from my personal uh, work uh, that I do for my, my job outside of the podcasting and activism and all that good stuff, and she agreed to be on our podcast. So <laughs> that would be awesome. So we'll have a, a veteran perspective about Afghanistan. And, and just being a, a, being in the military, um, and also a woman who served in the military um, in the in the late eighties, being in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. So a very unique perspective, uh, very different from my experience in the military because I, I did not do twenty plus years. So she's definitely an OG, triple OG. Also, um, feel free to check me out at Evolving Man LBV um, on Twitter. You can follow Question Culture on Twitter. Uh, share with friends, families who might be friends, family members, colleagues who might be interested in these topics we discussed. Um, also, you can check out LearningVestor.com or better known as the Evolving Man Project, where I deep dive into some of the discussions and talks. Uh, we have about question, on question culture and also um, fi- last but not least check out my wife and I's debut novel the um, Eve and the Faders and we also have short stories posted on our web- respective websites um, connected to the Eve and Faders universe as we get prepared for um, the sequel which will be out in 2022 so um, be on the lookout for that and that's a bit different it's a sci-fi book um, and you know it's, it's, a, it's, it's always good to be creative so can't be rah rah fight the system all the time. You gotta have your downtime and play video games, work out, eat good, be creative, draw, sing, write. Even if you're not good at those things, but you enjoy them, do it. Hey, who, who knows? Just hey, we put it out there. You can put it out there too. Hey, make that's music. Good advice. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about the uplifting topic topic of the 20 year war. Yeah. So I mean, I think the war in Afghanistan is a good case study for wars because in some ways it has the hallmarks of all wars and kind of things that happen in all wars happen in Afghanistan. But in other ways, it's kind of a new war and kind of the new a new piece to the American empire. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing to look at. Um, well, yeah, I think it's basically become like kind of like the, the first true almost endless war 
and, and we are and, and, and it's been in the news lately obviously because of the drawdown and the controversy around it and we'll be getting to all that stuff stuff too um and i think one thing we want to just put up here front uh first off you know i'm an iraq war veteran and you know we're going to talk about the, the harsh troops uh harsh truth about afghanistan um so mis- lots of things happen um and and at the end of the day, what we, who we're really criticizing is those in power who makes these decisions, um, not the not the you know E four or E one on the ground in Afghanistan who wasn't even born when this war started, who joined the military because maybe you know they want to fight for the country, maybe they wanted money for college, maybe they just had no other options, and it was just like hey, I just you know toil away in my you know small little town or community or neighborhood. Or, you know, I go do something else and, and get away from it. So uh, we're not criticizing, per se, individuals, soldiers, sailors, Marines who served there. We're criticizing the powers that be that, you know, kind of led us to this to this point in this um, endless war that we, we've been in. Um, and the people who've profited, profiteered out there. And also keep in mind the Afghanistan people. So, you know, obviously we lost um, soldiers and service members in, in Afghanistan, but also countless lives are also taken on the Afghanistan Afghanistan side. And, and we're damn sure not caping for the Taliban. So, you know, any haters that come along be like, you just want the Taliban to win. No, we don't. But our presence did not help in the Taliban because we still had to, like, make deals with them. So maybe let people have their own revolutions in their country and, and overthrow their tyrannical governments. And if we do go, if you do offer help, don't stay there and occupy them. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe just a, a thing I, I don't know if if we want you know i think during the american revolution if, if france decided to just stay and be like we'll help you build and we'll just stay here forever uh, we <laughs> i don't think americans would be too happy about that so let's th- put it in your perspective so that's all i'm saying yeah i don't it, I, I hope it has come across and uh, enough on the you know our previous episodes that we're all about attacking the system because ultimately it's the system that kind of motivates people's behavior and what they do. So attacking individuals will never get anything done. And, you know, we may attack individual higher-ups um, in our in our society, but really they're just manifestations of what the system produces anyway. So, and I think it's important to remember, you know, even if you're the most anti-war person, like I consider myself, um, you, we're all, we're all a part of the system. So we're all at fault. So if you want to know who's at fault for the problems in the world, you need to look at, you know, look in the mirror. Um, me spending money on ga- gas is just as much, you know, I'm just as culpable for the, the atrocities going on in the Middle East as, you know, someone fighting there. So I don't think it's fair to, you know, attack soldiers that serve when really we're all, you know, part of a system that's, that's causing these wars, um, however unjust they may be. So just keep that in mind, but um, and and, and, said, and also and and, and I, I, I kind of don't like that perspective though, Brian. Like kind of like all you know, we buy gas and we're just responsible for climate change. No, seventy one seventy one. I mean, a hundred companies are responsible for seventy one percent of fossil. Well, I meant gas emissions. as far as funding war. Oh, yeah, but I mean our tax dollars go to that, and I mean right. the best thing we can do as regular citizens is question our leaders' motives. And also, we should, as Americans, we should be fucking really pissed off that our tax dollars go to either low at the local level funding more police instead of like schools, hospitals, uh, community centers, things that will you know fair wages for people working, 
to like spend more time with their family and, and, and not have to like be working three or four jobs. And also at the federal level, going to like blow up people in other countries and, and buy a new aircraft carrier. But we can't afford health care. But we can we can afford this new missile defense system or we can afford a new aircraft carrier or a, a plane that costs three billion dollars. But, you know, but oh, my God, we can't we can't we can't we can't build our roads, though. God damn it. We can't we can't. We can't build a new hospital. We we gotta build more jails. We gotta fund more cops. Gotta gotta build more um, weapons. And as someone who serves, that that money is not going to the pockets of the low ranking you know folks on the ground. Uh, maybe some of the generals and the people who get out and go work for weapons contractors get paid a lot. Um, the Colin Powell's of the world, may he rest. <laughs> if you got some nothing good to say about someone, don't say nothing at all. So I'm not gonna say nothing about. Um, Comrade Powell, but uh, does this say that he was he is responsible for this war along with a whole lot of um, U.S. imperialism throughout the years? And yeah. and that's the truth. Yeah. He was you know, um, and that's the path he chose. He you know he didn't have to, but he was part of the the machine, the military industrial complex, and kept it popping and locking. But yep. do we want to get into some some bit of history about Afghanistan? Because we can we can sit and talk yeah. about Colin Powell, but. Uh, I think everybody, I'm pretty sure the media has been vilifying, I mean, venerating him as a hero and he's a great man and, you know, not talking about all the lies that the Bush administration did to get us into a war in Iraq, not to mention all other military interventions that he was oversaw or participated in as a senior military leader and a appointed official. So <laughs> he was not Smedley Butler, let's just say that, General Smedley <laughs> Butler, who was a big anti-war activist. So. I consider Smedley versus Butler a man with integrity, and I know that's that's probably like controversy because like, oh, well, Colin Powell was a black man; he was a general, and he did all these things first. Well, you know, Obama was the first black president. That still doesn't mean I agree with all his politics, and I didn't agree with most of his politics. And he droned the shit out of people in the Middle East and across the world, and most of them were civilians. They weren't like bad guy terrorists. No, they were civilians. Just Google Obama ninety percent. And Colin Powell's record, Obama pales in comparison. <laughs> Colin Powell had forty years in military service to to get in in government and military service to get to get to that point. So, yeah, yeah, I think I, I saw a good quote on Twitter that I don't know the vibe the I forgot the exact wording, but it was like if you're if you're just copying for white imperialism, then you're not you know a black hero. Um, and I think that sums it up Colin Powell pretty well. But the downside uh, is there's too many people. Even Public Enemy like released a statement like, "Oh my God, like he was a hero, even though we don't agree with him on politics." I'm like, "Wow, we have we have really came a long way of, you know, people like were critical in, in 20 Who years." Who from Public Enemy said that? Their their official Twitter Flav? account, their fa- their Twitter <laughs> account. So I'm assuming Chuck D and Flavor Flav know what's being tweeted from their that account. I know they're older, but still like. Damn, that's interesting because, you know, Rage Against the Machine spits some truth about it. And I know, like, Tom Morello is, like, good friends with them and stuff. So I wonder wonder how that, that went about. But I don't know. We, we got to stop worshiping the rich people, even the ones who might, our politics we might agree with. Because at the end of the day, the only, the only class in this country that has class solidarity is the 1%. <laughs> yep. And uh, so, yeah, let's uh, get started with the history. Um, 
you know, reality is really just a, a series of dominoes. So to understand what's happening now, you got to understand what happened in the past. Um, and Afghanistan is, you know, one of the most ancient places in, in the world. Um, human civilization started right around there. So really, uh, Afghan history goes back more than 3000 years. But I think a good starting point for the purposes of this podcast is kind of to start with modern imperialism. So what's considered mod- modern Afghanistan, kind of the borders that we um, view now, began in 1838 with the invasion of the British Empire. So, you know, I, <laughs> as many of you know, before that, uh, the American Empire was booming, the British Empire, uh, the Brits were the ones running around conquering the world. We are the bastard child of Great Britain. Yep, exactly. Um and so after the British invaded in 1838, it took almost 80 years of guerrilla warfare before Afghanistan actually won their independence from Britain in 1919. However, not everything was great. This new country was ruled by feudal monarchies, um, which lasted another 60 years until the Saur Revolution, Saur, I hope I pronounced that right, S-A-U-R, Revolution, um, put into power the Socialist People's Democrat, Democratic Party of Afghanistan. Um, and really, it's it's kind of important to think of this. This was kind of the wave of socialism and communism that was spreading across the globe. Um, so this was just another piece of that. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of similar to what was going on in Eastern Asia with the um, Vietnam War and things like that. So um, same thing was happening in the Middle East. Um, the Afghan people were fighting for their independence and formed a new socialist republic. Um Along with that came a lot of progress during that time. So um, the new government implemented a lot of land reforms, um, provided equal rights for women, legalized trade unions, and had a huge increase in literacy. So in a lot of ways during this time in the 60s and 70s, the, the country was really progressing and people were seeing new rights that they hadn't seen before, similar to what was going on in the United States. Yeah. Um, as a backlash to this progress, the feudal lords who had had their power taken away when this new government were still upset about that, they kind of grouped together with extreme uh, right religious organizations who were mad about all the progress that was being made, you know, towards women's rights and kind of secularism and that kind of stuff. And they formed what would be known as the Mujahideen and began all kinds of terrorist attacks. So they started attacking women's schools and other things like that, and attacking, you know, government institution, military sites, things like that, just basically a bunch of terrorist attacks. Um, so what happened was the Soviet Union basically seeing this and wanting to protect, you know, again, the British were trying to form the empires. Um, Soviet Union was also trying to expand its empire. So seeing this as a threat to, you know, someone, you know, with a socialist republic, they saw them on their side. So seeing this as a threat to their power, the Soviet Union then sent in their military to help hold up the government. Well, the U.S. saw this and, you know, we know what the U.S. felt about any kind of expansion of communism or socialism. Oh, uh, yep. So they started. Yeah. <laughs> so they Can't started, have a goddamn socialism, <laughs> goddamn it. We believe right, in freedom. I mean, eventually, we'll do an episode about Vietnam. But yeah, to to say the least, U.S. elites and the powerful did not take kindly to this. Um, the main reason being because if a if a part of the country goes socialism or communist, that means they're turning over control of their natural resources to that government. Well, the U.S. government doesn't like that because our government's controlled by international corporations. So if private states are, or not public states, are controlling the, the natural resources in an area, then that means our corporations are not. 
So they don't like that. So, you you know, if you read history, you'll see that most U.S. interventions are because there was a threat to corporate power in that, you know, in that area. So seeing that the... the and that the people so- think that's like some BS, just look into the history of Chiquita Bananas, because we overthrew a democratically elected leader to sell bananas. So, yes, I brought that up with my with my dad, how like literally like everything has had like a war fought over the control of like bananas at the grocery store. There was literally wars fought. Something I put in my fucking oatmeal. Like I don't even think much about a banana. I'm just like, um, they must grow in tropical regions because they do. But like, so people who might question us and be like, oh my God, you're saying that the government is influenced. And it's like what we said in our libertarian episode. Um, you know, if you're a libertarian, like the government is bad and it's tyranny. Um, the corporations and governments go hand in hand. And like, I always like to say, in this country, at least, um, slave trade was the capital for capitalism in this nation. So, when you brought up Smedley Butler, and in his book, he was like, "War is a racket." Yeah. I fought in this country for this corporation. I fought in that country for this corporation. Yeah. If you don't think that we're fighting wars over corporate power, that is a stunning ignorance of history. Um, and as I always recommend, you know, check out history so you, you understand what's going on. But. Um, so the Soviet Union inv- basically invaded Afghanistan, sending their military to prop up the government against these far-right religious organizations, these feudal lords that were trying to take power back. In return, the U.S., mainly through the CIA, started funneling billions of dollars and weapons to the Mujahideen, um, and this would, would be later known as Operation Cyclone. Um, and the main purpose there was to bog down the Soviet, Soviet military in a quagmire, basically, you know, um, hurting their their military, um, which was you know our goal all over the the world, um, and Reagan even invited the Muj- members of the Mujahideen into the White House, and you can go look up. There's videos of yeah, them he, the I White think House he even and, uh, dedicated a shuttle launch to the to the Muj- Mujahideen, the so-called freedom fighters in Afghanistan. So basically, yes. he was propping up the Taliban. So history is always very interesting. Um, I think about like um, 1848. United States came to Japan and told them to open up their doors to trade or be destroyed. Um, and that's the, that ended the, the feudal system in Japan. And less than 100 years later, we had Pearl Harbor because the West that came and was like, we're going to show you how to how to be imperialist too, like us. <laughs> and if you don't be imperialist, we'll blow you up. So it's kind of just like we created our own enemy and we did the same thing with the Mujahideen. Who took away women's rights and all the progress that was being made in Afghanistan? And we were just left in the freak alone. Freedom fighters probably would have followed those folks there. Um, and obviously, the Soviet was trying to be imperialistic too, um, and, and go there um, just like the you know. And we were kind of like, we got to get the Soviets. So once again, our board games, political board games by our political leaders to start the spread of communism, um, you know, kind of damned a nation that was on, on the right track. Um, imperialist powers but that's how it goes in our our history it's always the more powerful so-called more powerful countries um using you know other people and other nations that are not as powerful as political chess pawns and i think that goes to show how short-sighted america or how short the american memory is the public in america you know how like things that happened in the 80s and 90s, literally, we're building them up, but then 20 years later, we're fighting them. So yeah. it, it just goes to show, like, how people really don't read history for the most part um, and kind of just see what's happening right now and take it at face value without digging deeper. But I did also, you know, I figured this was a good time 
there, you know, because you might be asking yourself, why was the U.S. funneling billions of dollars? Was it just because they didn't like communism? That was one part of it, but there was also another um, aspect, and this goes back again to the corporate power, and it has to do with the resources in Afghanistan. Um, Afghanistan is very rich in several natural resources, including iron, copper, cobalt, gold, and lithium. Um, it's also a central supply chain passage for U.S. rivals like China and Russia. So there's a lot of trade routes that go through the Middle East, go through Afghanistan. So strategically, as far as trade and commerce, it's you know it's a very valuable place to be uh, to to send resources through. Um, it sits next to oil-rich company, countries like Iran and other former Soviet republics. So there's a lot of money to be made in Afghanistan. So a lot of corporations were you know, ready to get, get their hands on it um, to control those resources. And to just give you the level, in 2019, the New York Times, um, there's a New York Times article, which we'll share on our uh, websites like we always do, or on our social media. But um, in 2019, the New York Times article estimated that Afghanistan has one to three trillion dollars in untapped mineral deposits. So that's still currently. This isn't even you know back in the the 80s, 90s when we're talking. Still to this day, there's still much you know trillions of dollars in resources that corporations view as up for grabs. Also, Brian, let's not forget um, another one of A- Afghanistan's greatest exports. Um, um, opium poppy plant and just to give you a bit of how much it produces and this is like up current this is from the Afghanistan papers um, which you, there's a whole great series done by the uh, Washington Post um, I've read through a lot of it um, and we'll post a link to once we uh, put this up but the United States has spent a nine billion dollars to fight the problem over the last 18 years so this came out in 2018 um, but Afghan farmers are caught cultivating more opium poppies than ever Last year, Afghanistan was responsible for 82% of global opioid production, according to the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime. And what folks don't know, what folks should know, is opioids are a class of drugs that are naturally found in the opium poppy plant that work in the brain to produce a variety of effects, including pain relief with many of these drugs. And opioids can be prescribed medicines that are often referred to as painkillers, and they can be also so-called street drugs known as heroin. And we also got to talk about the opioid epidemic, which was brought on by the pharmaceutical industry, which led to people who were, you know, getting addicted to prescription pain pills, taking their addiction to the to the next level and being like, hey, if I can't get pain pills, I'll just do heroin. And we have a, a new cycle of addicts. And we care about the opioid epidemic because it's hit uh, the middle class and upper classes of people because we had the crack epidemic and the so-called the crack epidemic, the so-called crack epidemic in the 80s and 90s and that just created the, the war on drugs and more prisons and locked them up and then we had the meth epidemic in the early 2000s where bush was like yeah yeah we got to do something and it was just get more money to law enforcement and lock those people up uh, because it was mostly you know, poor rural people who were using meth methamphetamine just like during the crack epidemic it was targeting poor people even though rich people were doing lots of cocaine and with the opioid uh, epidemic, um, it's hitting middle America, and now we're treating it as a, as a health issue and that we're maybe prescribing too many prescription pills and things of that nature uh, because the class of people who are getting addicted. It's, it's, it's the senator's daughter. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Jerome in Bed-Stuy back in the day, or it's not, you know, it's not, you know, 
someone on a, on a Native American reservation who you know is 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 doing the, the the doing this drug. It's it's the people with power. It's the it's the it's the learned people. It's the it's the managerial class. They're they're at their relatives getting addicted to it. And we should treat all addiction has a uh, a larger problem of uh, mental health and and getting people resources and maybe giving people universal health care in this country could help um, get some people off addictions and also provide people um, the, the resources too. So, um, but opioid is the biggest, one of the biggest exports from the biggest export from Afghanistan. So, so as we just, you know, went through, there's plenty, there was both political incentive and then economics incentive for the U.S. to get involved for, you know, for the higher up the big corporations and from the U.S. to get involved in the area. So we're in the 80s. The Soviet Union has invaded, sent in their military to prop up the government. The U.S. is doing the reverse and funneling, funneling billions of dollars in weapons and building infrastructure for the Mujahideen. Um, some 35,000 Muslim radicals from 40 Islamic countries poured into Afghanistan to fight between 1982 and 1992, um, thus creating a vision of Afghanistan as a religious zealot hotspot that would later be used for justification to invade. So really, you know, it was during the 80s where, you know, by time the actual Afghanistan war, you know, happened in 2001. It was viewed, you know, endlessly on TV. It was this hot spot of terrorism with these crazy religious people, which they, you know, they are. They were suppressing, you know, the Taliban's a horrible, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like we say are. on this podcast all the time, Brian, uh, and to our listeners, we do not cape for any government in the world at all. And, and we, we will criticize them all. So-called, the so-called good governments to the, you know, re- religious um, fascists. Uh, theocratic states like um, the, the Taliban wants to implement, even though they say their image has changed. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But at the end of the day, uh, we support the will of the people, not the will of um, governments or corporations. Right. And the Taliban is as evil as it gets. But it's, you know, we it was used as justification in 2000 war to in 2001 to go to war. But really, we were the ones that created them back in the 80s. So I always use, the, you know, the metaphor. That's like punching someone in the face and then giving them an ice pack. It's like, well, yeah, I'm happy you gave me an ice pack, but it would have been nice if you didn't punch me in the face in the first place. But so in the 80s, so you have, you know, through the help of the U.S., the CIA funneling in billions of dollars in weapons and helping other radicals, you know, join the fight in Afghanistan. Um, Like I mentioned, 35,000 Muslim radicals poured into the country to fight. And this included um, groups of extremists, um, uh, including Osama bin Laden. And these groups would later uh, these groups would form what would later be known as the Taliban. Um, And as I'll get into later, one thing that always pissed me off about 9/11, I think outside of the, um, um, it's mentioned in the documentary Fahrenheit 9/11, but the Bush family actually has ties to the Bin Laden family because the Bin Laden family made all their money in oil, and so did the Bush family. So their families are actually partners. Because um, Bin Laden is not in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Afghani. He is he's Saudi. Uh, he's Saudi, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, um, so through this fighting, eventually the Taliban would end up seizing power in 1996, 
And although in 2001 they'd be viewed as our enemy, in 1996 the U.S. government was actually very eager to work with the Taliban. The Clinton administration immediately began working with them to construct an oil pipeline for Unical, which is a Texas-based oil company. Um, while the Taliban was working with Unical to form new pipelines, it was also working with Osama bin Laden, who was forming Al-Qaeda and declaring jihad against the U.S. So they were kind of, Taliban and Al-Qaeda were kind of uneasy partners. Al-Qaeda was kind of the more militant, violent, extreme. You know, they hated the U.S., where Taliban was trying to be seen more as a, you know, an actual, you know, state and, and, and global power and was interested in money and financing, where Al-Qaeda and Osama was a little bit more interested in jihad and what, you know, their twisted view of justice. Um, bin Laden had a deep-seated hatred of America for its role in funding Israeli occupation of Palestine and, and other attacks on the Muslim world. So he was really a religious zealot that didn't like what the U.S. was doing and was out for revenge, basically. Um, ultimately, the pipeline operation failed, and the Clinton administration lost faith that the Taliban would carry out the U.S. corporation's goal in the country. They turned their focus on invasion so that they could install a more friendly government. Then that's when 9-11 happened. Um, initially, the Afghanistan war was seen as retaliation for 9-11, and it was stated, its stated goals, the, you know, Bush and the government stated that the goal of invading Afghanistan was to capture al-Qaeda leaders, dismantle their organizations, and overthrow the Taliban. Um, what is often missed is, you know, the, the connection between the Osama bin Laden family, or the bin Laden family and the Bush family is missed. Um, it's also forgotten that almost immediately the Taliban offered to capture and extradite bin Laden for trial, but the Bush administration rejected the offer. So, you know, the government's stating these are its goals, and the Taliban's trying to, you know, work with the U.S. government, but their, you know, the U.S. government wasn't, happen it, wasn't having it, which really shows their true intention. They didn't really... You know, that was the justification that they told to the public. Yeah. But really, they had been planning on over, you know, overthrowing the government for a while because they weren't working with our corporations how we wanted them to. Um, and, of course, at the time, the U.S. government and its generals promised this would be a quick, easy war. They even stated that this would not be another Vietnam. Um, conveniently, the U.S. government already had a new regime picked out. Um, they had... they. Um, and it, it, they, he got elected, quote unquote, but it's well known that it was a fraud election um, with literally millions of, of um, you know, fake ballots and stuff. But Hamid Karzai became the first president of Afghanistan. He was a Chevron, formerly a Chevron consultant <laughs> and a CIA asset. Um, and his brother had been working with Unical on the pipeline project. So, you know, it's very convenient that like, oh, we're going to attack Afghanistan for for 9-11. But, oh, we already have this new president worked out who's been working with our oil companies, you know, already. Yeah. And, and, and the corruption in Afghanistan can be over overstated because they were they were corrupt, but they were installed by um, U.S. forces. And this is a, 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 a former army general uh, who worked in Afghanistan, oversaw forces. His name was I believe it's Chris. Kalinda. So if I pronounce that incorrectly, you can check out the Afghanistan papers. He's quoted in there. But he's like, he's talking about the, the government of uh, Afghanistan and kind of what happens. He's like, his quote is, I like to use a cancer analogy. Petty corruption is like skin cancer. There are ways to deal with it and you'll probably just be fine. Corruption um, within the ministries 
higher levels is like colon cancer. It's worse, but if you catch it in time, you're probably okay. Kleptocracy, however, is like brain cancer. It's fatal. And this is from an army general who oversaw forces in Afghanistan. This isn't from Lorna Vestal, the um, you know low-ranking Navy sailor who you know served in served in Iraq. No, this is this is someone at the highest level of government who's just like we created a kleptocracy. <laughs> we were throwing money at it, <laughs> and they were you know skimming off the top. Um, kind of kind of like how we have here, where we have lobbying and this legalized bribery, <laughs> but. There's a whole country being so-called rebuilt and that money is not going to the people. The government isn't serving the people. The government is serving themselves and, and hand in fist with corporations and weapon contractors who exactly. are all making money um, off this endless quagmire, which, you know, we didn't we were saying we're going to have a quagmire because Vietnam was in our conscience. And I mean, it was from the beginning, they were promising it'd be a quick war, but it was pretty obvious pretty quickly that it wouldn't be. The Taliban was well armed and trained um, by years of CIA assistance. So really, we were fighting a force that we had just been building up for the last two decades and were very well funded, were new, you know, very good at tactics and stuff, were on their home turf. Um, but l- really, the Afghanistan war didn't really receive that much backlash because of the, you know, the patriotic fever that existed after 9-11. Yeah. Um, and um, it was also quickly overshadowed by Iraq, which happened just two years later. And initially, the U.S. soldier death toll in Iraq was much higher. So people, you know, Afghanistan kind of faded away from American people's consciousness. Yeah, but we've still been there for like the last you know, 20 years. And, you know, the, the only reason it's became in the news recently is because of um, Biden's um, pulling out of Afghanistan. So, but we were there. And the the crazy thing is I have a niece who just joined the army a couple of years ago. And when the war in Afghanistan started, I think she was maybe, she was maybe one years old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was 18 when the war started and I had just joined the, the, um, the Navy at the time. So I was old enough. I'm old enough to remember the, the, the patriotic, patriotic feeling of going, you know, people, the fever that was going around the country. And I remember how the Dixie Dixie chicks were basically, you know, their careers were destroyed because they were like, I'm, I'm ashamed that bushes from our, you know, um, from our, you know, Texas and anybody who had any dissension of being like, maybe we shouldn't go to war Maybe we should resolve this in a more diplomatic way or or figure because we, you know, they knew that, hey, you know, we war, people are going to die. Uh, we're going to lose people on our side. They're going to lose people on their side. No one's going to come out the winner of this. But we know who the real winners of war is. It's the military industrial complex and the corporations that benefit from um, exploiting markets in unstable regions. But that's, you know, you can check out our military industrial complex to get a deep dive on that. But that was that's the crazy thing. Cause I'm, we're old enough to remember that. Uh, I know I am because I was I was an adult at the time, a young man, but still. And it's so scary looking back on it. How? Because I remember that too. Like it was just the obedience that happens after the you know there's an attack like that. Yeah, it was, was no, no critical time. analysis. It was just like blind like patriotism, and every you know, the leaders of the country are going to do the right thing in our best interest to protect us. And yeah, if you get a population that's scared, um, but we didn't know the, the the CIA called it blowback, blowback. We you know train Bin Laden and his forces how to be you know these create operatives to like you know to give it to the Russians, 
and it came back to bite us in our ass. And I think the intelligence agencies knew or they didn't, you know, care or, you know, it was just like, well, you know, we, we have this, we have this, we have this country that we can invade and take their resources and not really think about the consequences of, of those actions. And this is us criticizing the, the leaders who make these decisions, the generals, the, the elected officials, the appointed officials. We're not talking about the everyday, you know, soldiers and, and Marines on the ground. Um, you know, like I said, war is just, is just poor people fighting in the interests of rich people. Um, and that's been that way throughout history, unfortunately. Well, and I think racism played a role in it oh, yeah. as well yeah. because it was it was brown, you know it was brown people that attacked us. The media, you know, at nauseum would plaster the face of the you know the brown faces of the terrorists who attack us. And most of the people, most of the terrorists from nine eleven were Saudi. Were Saudi. Yeah, and we're Saudis. never going. We're never going to war with Saudi Arabia. We're, they're our buddies. <laughs> yeah. So it's like if we're if it's Saudis, then why are we attacking Afghanistan? But that question was never answered. It was just oh, you know, it's brown people on the other side of the world majority of americans can't you know point out afghanistan or saudi arabia on a map so it's just oh these brown people attacked us so yeah go attack these brown people they're ter- they're all terrorists you know and then and there was a you know quite a severe wave of like middle eastern racism too during the time you know middle eastern people getting and attacked not only and middle like eastern that. people but people who are um who happen to be sikh they're not even you know they're, they're a different religion they're not even muslims um and they were you know attacked during 9 11 anybody who kind of look like um or you know resemble it was a lot of xenophobia going around um mm-hmm. at that at that time and the you know racist terminology like redhead ragged sand nigger uh all type of you know diaper head all this all these things and this is kind of what i had to um you know counter some in my in my days of service because you know you you get in the military you know you'll have people kind of saying the type of stuff and you're just like come on man <laughs> You're, you're 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 about to you you get you keep saying that stuff and, and you know and you're just getting it's a slippery slope you know but you got to demon dehumanize your opponent in order to send people over there to like fight them yeah so i mean it was it, looking back on it, it was really scary scary kind of the mindset that happened after 9-11 like you said there was no critical analysis it was just kind of this bloodlust for revenge and i think what only one elected official voted um in congress no on going to war with afghanistan yep and that was a uh, representative barbara lee yep so hats off to her for having the courage to do that because it was a very unpopular time to do so and it's just scary because i know it can happen again and if there's this attack you know attack the media can spin it any way they want and it'll be the same, you know, nothing's changed. If anything, I feel like that kind of stuff has gotten worse. So it's just scary. It's happened before. It can happen again. Exactly. Um, and then kind of another uh, quote from the Afghanistan papers is uh, from a, a former U.S. diplomat named James Dobbins. And he says, we don't invade poor countries to make them rich. We don't invade authoritarian countries to make them uh, democratic. We invade violent countries to make them peaceful, and we clearly failed in Afghanistan. So this is a diplomat who, you know, worked in Afghanistan who's saying we clearly failed there. Uh, yet, um, I think you're going to talk about the kind of the, these 20 years of war, um, how um, how we talked about like, oh, everything's fine over there. <laughs> yeah, and so, well, and since you brought it up twice, I just want to clarify too for those who may not know um, the what's referred to as the Afghanistan Papers was an article published by the Washington Post in 2019, like you well, mentioned. Well, series of articles. What? Series articles. But what it was, it was 
information uncovered via the uh, Freedom of Information Act. And it was basically interviews with high-ranking people in the military talking about— And diplomats and and U.S. uh, government officials. And contractors and things. Um, And what basically what was was discovered in there, not even discovered, I would say was just verified, because I think it was things we all knew were true, but now we had the actual hard evidence. But basically stating— all the money that there was no never any clear intention with the war in Afghanistan that even high ranking officials were clueless about what they were supposed to be doing there and what was supposed to be happening um, information on how we funneled billions and billions of dollars in there and basically handed out to warlords and corrupt government officials um, so you know b- basically just the Afghanistan papers were proving what you know a lot of us kind of knew all along yeah, it was basically uh, they had no exit strategy <laughs> Yeah, and and they were they were um, knowingly lying to the public about the situation. You know, they the generals would go on TV and say, you know, the surge is working. We're we're doing this, and knowing that that was a lie, and that the surge was not working, and that they were not, you know, in any way dismantling the Taliban power. In fact, this is a quote from Barack Obama from December two thousand nine, and I'll do my famous (laughs) or infamous Obama voice. The days of providing a blank check. Are over. It must be clear that the Afghanis will have to take responsibility for the security and that the American America has no interest in fighting endless wars in Afghanistan. And he said this to like, you know, uh, graduates from the from West Point Academy back in 2009. Um, you know, the Afghanistan paper implemented three different presidential administrations, Democratic and Republic, Republican, for basically lying to our faces about what was going on in Afghanistan. And I don't know if people remember this, but both Obama and Trump ran while they were campaigning, saying they were going to end the Afghanistan war and that it was bad and that we should get out. Yeah. Yet neither of them did. Nope. Um, Obama promised, you know, by the end the war by 2014. Then after he got elected, he sent in 30,000 more troops. Um, in 2009, 2010, U.S. soldiers requiring limb amputation increased by 60%. Um, wounds to the genitalia increased by 90%. So I think that's, you know, we're going to talk about the numbers of deaths, but it's often, you know, the soldiers who survive but are maimed never, you know, that never gets mentioned or anything. No, and it's not just the ones who have epitese. It's the, you know, traumatic brain injuries. Um, it's the PTSD. It's the folks who've been deployed there four or five, six times. I mean, even I, um, just by a stroke of luck, didn't do multiple deployments during my, you know, four years in service. I did one deployment, but I could have did another deployment. So this, these are, you know, real lies. And we're not even talking about the, uh, the fate of the Afghanistan people who are not Taliban or Al-Qaeda. They're just little regular people living their day-to-day lives. They're trying to, you know, survive in crazy conditions. And just as we mentioned in our, you know, our presidency episode, both Democrats and Republicans are sons of bitches. So Trump, just like Obama, promised that he would end the war like the true con man that he is. He sent in more troops. When he first took office, there was only 8,000 troops left in Afghanistan. He increased that back up to 14,000. He also dropped more bombs in Afghanistan in 2018 and 19 than in any other year of the war. And that included the largest non-nuclear bomb ever dropped. The it Mo- had a blast. The, the of, Moab, the mother of all yep. bombs. And he was like praising it on TV. Like, it's the biggest bomb you've ever seen. It was beautiful. The fucking bomb killed people. And it wasn't like the it bomb. Bla- yeah. 
good. It, sorry, I was just going to say it had a blast radius of one mile. Yeah. So this is a fucking huge bomb. Exactly. And this is like, those, that one mile wasn't just filled with like, you know, Taliban fighters and Al Qaeda fighters. And they're just like, yeah, we're just standing around. It's a whole mile. It was like women and children, you know, grandfathers, just people going about their everyday lives. And and just the stat to back that up, he Trump presided over a fifty two percent increase in civilian casualties during his presidency in Afghanistan. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to point out is the human cost of these wars. Um, in total, as of I think it was two thousand twenty one, um, two thousand three hundred fifty five American soldiers have been killed. An estimated twenty thousand U.S. soldiers have been maimed. Four thousand U.S. mercenaries had been killed and at least 170,000 Afghans killed. Again, these numbers are hard to, especially the Afghan civilians, it's hard to get exact numbers. Um, I've, you know, read a lot. I was trying to give the conservative estimate because is 170,000 dead people not enough for you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's, and that's really what we're, you know, all these people getting killed for these games of rich people so their corporations can control their resources it's really what's most disgusting to me um yeah and, and and what's most disgusting to me is just kind of the we we kind of did what we we did we didn't blatantly do it but kind of like with vietnam it was kind of like we kill more people on their side so we're winning and it's like these are our lives and um what's what's even crazier is kind of thinking about that you know what you said we're all one human family and how much of that culture has seeped into our, you know, modern day culture. Um, and what, what more could we have learned? Um, like hookah, the, the, the rise of hookah, hookah show stop shops. Um, that's de- directly from our, you know, foreign involvement in the Middle East and soldier sales, Marines who served over there coming back and bringing some of these customs. Um, you know, the people converting to the Islam peacefully. Um, it's come from our, you know, connections with resources. So it's just, just, it could be exchange of ideas instead of bullets. And we could solve these conflicts, you know, more diplomatically. Um, obviously, um, even in diplomacy, some violence will happen. But when you go to war, it's just all bets are off the table and crazy shit happens. And even you talked about Trump, but even with Obama, like his, his drone, drone strikes, you know, 90% of those casualties from those drone strikes were civilians. These are everyday people just... Just imagine you're just going to work one day and like your your house is blowing up with the with the fucking drone. And what was the recent the recent droning that happened before uh, right before Biden you know pulled out of Af- uh, Afghanistan that killed all those? Civilians? Oh yeah, there was a drone strike that t- killed ten civilians, including um, children. And of course, there's going to be no punishment for any of the people. And, 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 um, and I think I think just recently I said they were gonna give some money to the families. It's like, oh, thanks. Like here, I killed your family, but here's here's, here's some money. Here's yeah, it's, it's just like here in, in the United States when like a, you know a, an unarmed black person is shot by the cops, and it's like, oh, here goes you know a couple million dollars. You know that doesn't replace that family member you lost, that father, that that mother, that brother, that sister, that cousin, that auntie, that uncle. Um, same thing with the Afghanistan people. Those people who are going are going, and you don't win hearts and minds you know, having a fucking drone blow up people. Uh, that's that's not the way you win hearts and minds. And I I feel sorry for the you know the the, the men and women who served over there who who really thought like, hey, we were doing the re- they told us we you know went over there to kind of you know give them freedom and and and, and live a free life and you know we want to bring 
We want women and girls to go to schools and all these other good things. You know, that that's those are noble causes. But the people in power don't give a flying fuck about <laughs> the you know, right. Joe Blow soldier on the ground or or somebody living at or uh, Afghan Afghanistan Iraqi refugee in Iraq. So or men not Iraq, in Iran. So they don't care. They care about their profits. They care about maintaining the power. They maintain it and, and also controlling resources. And we're not pulling this out our ass. Uh, there's lots of data and evidence to back up what we're claiming. You can look for yourself. Um, study for yourself. Research for yourself. Don't take our words. Like I said, Brian and I are not qualified to talk about many fucking things, but we do because it's our podcast. But um, we do try to have um, stats and figures to back up what we're talking about. And, and, and ask our listeners and anybody who would listen to this to be who might be critical to uh, kind of do the research on your own. Yeah, I just go always go back to this belief of mine that there are no winners in wars. We're all losers in war. And I think Afghanistan's a perfect example of that. And I think people have this urge to divide things into good guys versus bad guys. You know, that's how it is in the movies. But that's not how it is in real life. Sometimes there are no good guys in a situation the it was fucked up for the british empire to invade afghanistan it was fucked up for the soviet union to invade afghanistan it was fucked up for the u.s to invade afghanistan it's fucked up the taliban's fucked up so it's just all just one big you know fuck up um and it's all just because of corporations and people vying for power you know i always say like if you if you live where resources are found if some natural resource you better have an army and military capable of owning that shit. Otherwise, get the fuck exactly, out of there. Exactly. Because you do not want to be where resources are being extracted from the earth. Because um, it, it just, you know, always breeds this kind of fucking horribleness. Yeah. And, and I'm going to quote uh, Chris Hedges, a former New York Times journalist, award-winning journalist, who had some very interesting things to say about our, our time in Afghanistan, um, the U.S. empire. Uh, as we like to call it, the, the I go to DC and I always take pictures, and I'm like when I post them on Instagram, I'm like monuments of the empire because that's what they are. Whether it's the Washington Mall or uh, the monument um, or, or the statue of Lincoln, there it's all monuments of the empire, uh, our glory. We're, we're empire, um, and we're all empire babies. Uh, we're just empire babies that woke up and was like, "Fuck this shit. We we, we shouldn't be doing some of the fucked up shit. We do. we need to step up." And it's going to be up to everyday people. It's not going to be up to people in power to change these things. If you want people to not go to war, whether you have a family member in the military or not, um, then don't vote for people who are going to send them to war. But let's talk about Chris Hedges. And he talks about the plight of the Afghanistan people. Uh, there are some 14 million Afghanistan Afghanis, one in three who lacks sufficient food. There are 2 million Afghan, Afghan children who are malnourished. There are 3.5 million people in Afghanistan who have been displaced from their homes. The war has wrecked infrastructure. A drought has destroyed 40% of the nation's crops last year. The assault on an Afghan economy is already seeing food prices skyrocketing. The sanctions and severity severance of aid will force evil servants to go without salaries and health service already chronically short of medicine and equipment will collapse. The suffering orchestrated by the empire will be of biblical proportions. And this is what the empire wants. So when we do sanctions and stuff, people think, oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting sickness to those those you know powerful, those evil governments. No, we're actually sticking it to the people who live in those countries who who might not have no control over what their government does. And maybe, 
you know, maybe we should, you know, not interfere with those countries and, you know, provide them support. And maybe those people will rise up and overthrow those tyrannical governments. Um, and maybe that's what we should do. Not be like, we're going to go there and like show you how to build a democracy um, and not know anything about your culture. And even during the uh, Afghanistan war and even in Iraq, um, but even in Afghanistan, we were we were firing interpreters. People who spoke the languages of those of those countries. I mean, the people who lived in those countries, people who were from those countries. And then also when we pulled out with the Biden uh, um, withdrawal, some of the people we promised that we would take out of there, we did not. Um, and now they're at the they're, they will be at the mercy and they are at the mercy of the Taliban. And we can't. And this is it was just a, the exit strategy was poorly, you know, orchestrated and and. and and are we really out of there or is it just going to be more contractors instead of actual service members or are we going to keep a force of service members there? So that's the question to ask moving forward. And what really disturbed me is, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but the 2020 presidential primaries and presidential election cycle, there was very little mention of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. But definitely very little mention of Afghanistan. The only time that became in the news was all the people in in the corporate media being upset that Joe Biden was going to withdraw because that's just we gotta we gotta be there for feminism. We gotta we gotta be there for women's rights. And there's a great article that we'll post called uh, "War Is a White Woman's Burden." Um, and he talks this author talks about what happened in Afghanistan and how we were told what was going on with there. First, it was fighting, fighting terrorism. Then it was spreading democracy. And now it's somehow feminism. Whatever gets the taxpayers to open up their wallets for the endless bloody grift. Now we're using women's rights to sell war the same way Philip Morris used women's rights to sell Virginia Slims. And that was the craziest thing like um, to see this summer and beginning of the fall. Uh, them just kind of be like, what about the women of Afghanistan? It's like, well, maybe well, what about the women of Afghanistan the 30 years leading up to this? Exactly. It didn't seem like you give a shit until now we're when we leaving create, and then we, all of a sudden we, you when care. We, when the United States government funds the most extreme, conservative, right-wing, fundamentalist motherfuckers to form the uh, Mujahideen and then also which would become the Al-Qaeda and Taliban to take over a country that was progressing in the 70s and 80s um, before Russia invaded. So just to like, you know, play political board games. This this is a problem right there. It goes back to my metaphor about punching someone in the face and then giving them an ice pack. I mean, yeah, while the US was there in Afghanistan, you know, and I don't again, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, there were good things that happened during the yeah, occupation. Schools built, we roads we did built. build Yeah, we did build infrastructure. We did earn some rights for women and women, you know, got to be integrated in society. But the, the, the Taliban has taken that back now, so all those things are going to be dismantled. And we created the Taliban in the first place, so they wouldn't even have existed if we didn't intervene in the first exactly. place. Exactly. We could have so, we could allowed the Afghanistan people to fight off the Russians on their own. They would have. Because if anybody, if someone comes into your house, most likely you're going to defend your house, uh, whether that's with a, you know, a weapon or you have a, 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 a vicious you know guard dog or whatever. Someone comes into your space uninvited has a you know t- trying to take it over you will defend that the afghanistan people would have fall off the russians without and, and without us having to create the fucking mujahideen and calling the you know 
So the terrorists, the terrorists of 2001 in the 80s were called freedom fighters by fucking Ronald Wilson Reagan, the president and we'll, and we'll share there's a newspaper article with Osama bin Laden in the picture and it talks about you know freedom fighters in the Middle East <laughs> fighting for freedom and all and these were like and Osama bin Laden was up here in um, a follow of uh, a form of Islam called Wahhabism which is like the most right wing fundamentalist version of Islam that you can get and this is the guy we were putting our money on like it was no way this is going to be a situation that turned out good. Exactly. And um, two other things I want to point out too. Um, so we talked kind of about the, the loss of life and, you know, it can never be, we'll never, we'll find out in the coming years, you know, all the, you just, you can't, you just, the loss of human life on that level is, unme- you know, unmeasurable how much it impacts you know, just their culture, our culture, everything. But there's also the financial cost. During the war in Afghanistan, it was estimated that it was costing taxpayers $2 billion a week to be fighting over do there. Do the math on that. So <laughs> do the math on that and just think about that's $2 billion we should be using for hospitals to rebuild schools, to rebuild our infrastructure, to house the homeless. To give, provide people medical health care, um, free child care for folks who are, are working, uh, 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 a minimum wage, a living wage, not even the fucking minimum wage. Um, so all the, the you know people out there are like, oh yeah, we got two billion dollars a week. That's that's what's going. Your tax dollars are going to like fund bombing and, and blowing up and, and war of, of people um, on our side and their side. It, it's not pretty. It's ugly. Um, we should be we should be focused on diplomacy first. Uh, war should be our last last option. And that's all I meant earlier in the podcast when I was talking about we're all culpable because we're all paying taxes and we're and this is what our tax dollars are being used for. So if we're not resisting this, then we're part of it. Yeah. And, and I think that I'm like the, the people in the U.S. who are mad about like, oh, the vaccine mandates is tyranny. Oh, my God. You should be fucking mad about the government taking your tax dollars. And all we all pay taxes. Everybody pays taxes. I'm sorry, Republicans and libertarians who might be listening to this who are like, poor people don't pay any taxes. They get everything free. They get handouts. No, they fucking don't. If you buy a box of cigarettes, if you buy fucking an apple, you buy a shirt, you buy a bottle of water or, you know, or you fill up your gas tank, you got to pay taxes on that. Now, all those taxes goes to the, your local, state, and federal government. And most of that money, either at the federal and state level, I mean, at the state and local level, go to funding the police. And, and at the federal level, it goes to the massive military industrial complex or the um, defense budget, which is, I think, this last year, like what, six, seven hundred billion dollars. And it's not even including the FBI and CIA. So who knows what their budgets are? And it's not even including the uh, National Security um, Administration, the NSS, I mean, NSA. Um, so with those, those, but so we're looking at a trillion dollars a year on defense and that's where your tax dollars are going. That's why we can't have middle care for all. That's why we can't have a living wage. So when you tell me this is the most important election and you vote for warmongers like Joe Biden, because he cheerleaded the war in um, Iraq, just like he cheerleaded the war in Afghanistan, just like he oversaw the increase under Obama um, of the surge in Afghanistan, just like he did in the surges in Iraq, because he was a fucking vice president at the time. So, and and I wanted, so I did want to, since you mentioned Biden, I do, I'm not as, like, of course, I'm, you know, anytime we get the fuck out of a country we should have never been in the first place, I'm a happy guy. But I'm not looking at some Biden as some champion of peace. Um, we need to question why 
we got out now and the motives. Because um, what I'm learning is that we're still it's seeming like there might still be a small troop presence, yeah, but is. even more than that, mer- there's a bunch of mercenaries. So there's a bunch of private contractors that are still going to stay in the country and make sure our corporate interests are carried out. And also what I'm noticing too, is the U S empire is wrapping up its interventions in Africa and in other places around the world. So I think more rather than, you know, U S generals and the corporations just being like, Oh, you know what? Our bad. We're just going to leave. I think, their their focus is just turning elsewhere, and they're like, all right, we're not. This really isn't quite as profitable as we want it to be. So we're going to focus on areas that are a little more profitable. And these dark wars that are going on in Africa right now, like I'm trying to research them, and it, it's hard, but to find information. But you know, as time goes on, I'm sure we'll learn more. But the U.S. Empire is still, you know, chugging along, um, intervening, and in, especially in Africa. Been, oh yeah, and, and I have a brother who's um, in service. Um, he's he's a he's a Oh, four in the army and he has been deployed to the continent on several several deployments to the continent uh, many of these deployments he can't even speak about um, because they're classified so that's just something to, to, to put out there um, so um, we are we, we we're not we're not we're not the military is not spreading <laughs> joy and peace throughout the world um, it, it's it's a, it's a fighting force it's it's, it's war uh, that's what they do, and unfortunately, like Smedley Butler is saying, we're we're fighting for corporations' bottom lines, not for your freedoms or your rights to protest or speak out against the government or or do whatever you want to do in this country that's so called we spoke called we supposed to have freedom in. Uh, this is really the bottom lines of corporations and also um, building up the legacy of elected officials who always who's never met a war they didn't like because uh, Biden is cheerleaded every war and intervention we've had uh, since his time as a young senator when he got elected when he was 29 years of age. The man is almost 80, and he's he's always cheerleaded every war. <laughs> now, one time he stood up and was like, maybe we shouldn't be bombing people first. Maybe we should use diplomatic measures and, and save people's lives. Nope, he's been like, let's bomb them. And I don't want to spend too much time on it because we talked about it at length in our military industrial complex episode. But Afghanistan is a prime example of the revolving door between private weapons contractors and the U.S. government. Um, The secretary of defense and other high ranking positions are always filled by war profiteers from Boeing, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. This is true under both Democrat and Republican uh, administrations or regimes, as I call them. And um, the Afghanistan war is no exception. And I found an awesome article that details and shows names, names, shows the stats. It's literally thousands of people. They get their start in the in the war of profiteers in those companies I mentioned. Then they go into high ranking positions in the U.S. military or vice versa. They start out in the military and then end up going working for these countries. So it's one big uh, circle jerk um, to profit off war and profit off people's suffering. Yeah, and I like this quote by uh, Chris Hedges um, in his, uh, on Afghanistan, and he talks about empire. If the empire was capable of introspective introspection and forgiveness, it could free itself from its death spiral. If the empire disbanded as much as the British Empire did and retreated to focus on its ills that beset the United States, it could be free itself. It could, it could free itself from its death spiral. But those who manipulate the levers of the empire are accountable. They are hidden from public view. They are beyond public scrutiny. They are determined to keep playing the great game, rolling the die with lies and national treasure 
They, they will, I expect, preside gleefully over the deaths of even more Afghanis, ensuring themselves it was worth it, without realizing that the gallows they erected are for themselves. So he talks about basically like the empire collapsing itself. The reason why the Soviet Union collapsed, um, besides U.S. intervention, um, was because we were spending <laughs> the Soviet Union was spending all this money on on the military and foreign and foreign intervention, and it collapsed from within. The, the The nation crumbled from within, and we see the same thing in the United States. We can't even get a goddamn infrastructure bill passed because we're debating like, oh, should we build roads? Roads, but we're spending two billion dollars a day. In Afghanistan, and 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 not letting the people of Afghanistan determine their fate because we've established a puppet government uh, with the motherfucking Chevron employee who's a CIA agent, um, and right. and we did the same thing in Iraq. So it's the same old thing of disaster capitalism. That's what it is. Yeah, and notice there's never any debate in the government when it comes to funding war. No. When there's infrastructure bills, oh my God, there's back and forth and Democrats and Republicans can't get along. Can't get along but every time it's a war. Yeah, and there's filibusters. And every time and all there's time bullshit. to vote for that defense budget, it's bipartisan support. And when you bring this up to the fucking voters, they get mad at you. I'm, I'm just telling the truth. Our news, yep. some of our news media reports on this, the corporate mainstream media doesn't. They just like make it like, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta support the troops. We gotta, we gotta go to, we gotta, we care about the troops. They don't give a flying fuck about the troops. We have homeless. We have a home. We have like what the five hundred thousand um, homeless people in this country, probably even more. And a good portion of those homeless people are veterans from the different wars that we fought over the goddamn century, I mean decades. A large percent. Yeah, Isn't it like thirty or forty percent. Something like that. Like that? It's so it's like percent, if we gave yeah. a shit about the troops, they wouldn't be fucking homeless in the streets. So, so that that's the problem right there. We don't these companies, these mainstream media companies, CNN, Fox News, uh, ABC News. Are all have you know they're all their investors are all like Boeing, Raytheon, General Election, all these all these companies that make or manufacture weapons and benefit off the military industrial complex. So you know the whole and if you read the Afghanistan papers, you'll understand that the whole thing was like we told the people that we would create a strong central government in Afghanistan, um, but they don't understand the history is not as it doesn't have a history of a strong central government, and the time frame they created timeline they created the united states to build a strong central government will take fucking 100 years so we just had to be there fucking forever and they and obviously that's not that's not going to happen um so we should let the afghan people determine their own fate um just like we would we are citizens the citizens of the country if we see our country going to shit we should you know step up and say something about it hence why brian and i do this podcast uh we're just two regular citizens i'm nothing special i mean I, I'm not special because I served in the military. I'm not special because I have some some fancy degree from some fancy college or some shit like that. I'm just a regular guy. Working class people all over the world need to start recognizing our common humanity with all working class people across the entire globe. And we need to collectively stop playing these rich people's games because their wars will not benefit us. They will. We have everything to lose and nothing to gain, and they have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Exactly. So, yeah. So we uh, want to wrap it up with some quotes, brother. Yeah. Yeah. You can go. All right. So my quote is from the Revolutionary Association of the Women of Afghanistan, and it says, "It is it is human nature to resist the history, and the history bears witness." We have glorious examples of U.S. struggle, Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter movements. 
We have seen no amount of oppression, tyranny, and violence that can stop resistance. Women will not be shackled anymore. Just the next morning after the Taliban entered the capital, a group of our young brave women painted graffiti on the walls of Cabal with the slogan, Down with the Taliban. Our women are now politically conscious. And no longer will they live under the burqa, something we, they easily did 20 years ago. We will continue our struggles while finding smart ways to stay safe. We think it is inhumane. U.S. military empire is not only the enemy of the Afghanistan people, but the biggest threat to the world peace and instability. Now the system is on the verge of decline. It is the duty of all peace-loving, progressive, leftist, justice-loving individuals and groups to intensify their fight against the brutal warmongers in the White House, the Pentagon, the Capitol Hill, and the Capitol Hill. Replacing the rotten system with a just and humane one, one will not only liberate millions of poor and oppressed American people, but will have lasting effect on every corner of the world. Now is our fear is the world might forget Afghanistan and the Afghan women living under the Taliban's bloody rule like in the 1990s. Therefore, the U.S. progressive people and institutions should not forget the Afghan women. We will raise our voice louder and continue our resistance and fight for secular democracy and women's rights. And I stand in solidarity with these women and men and, and children and people who are fighting for justice in Afghanistan and every corner of the world. Uh, not just the United States, but all across the world. International solidarity is what's needed. So I stand with the women of Afghanistan. Um, fuck the Taliban, but also um, fuck the warmongers who walk in the halls of power. And if you are call yourself a progressive politician and you're voting for war and endless war and more police, you're part of the problem and you should be voted out. And I say to the American voters, stop voting for these people who will send your sons, daughters, husbands, wives, to go to war, to come back broken, um, and not and not that we get to come back broken, um, folks will eventually heal from their wounds. But what about the people who died? They don't have a chance to to heal and cope with their PTSD or their or heal from their wounds or their moral injury. They're dead. They're gone. That that there goes their chance. Or just like the little Afghanistan kid who might have been killed in a in a drone strike. That kid could have grew up to do something great. It doesn't have to be cure cancer. It could just be a, be a good father, good mother. Uh, be a teacher or, or a bus driver, just, you know, taking kids to school. doesn't matter. But their life was cut short because of a, a, a ridiculous war. So we should all be against war as humans and how much resources we spend on war versus building each other up and building up our, our own country for the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. My, uh, I really like that quote. That was a good one. Good find. Um, Mine is from Danny Shorson, um, who was a West Point graduate and a combat veteran who served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And he said, uh, I was always told I had to increase the standard of living and the stability and the security of in individual districts and sub-districts within Afghanistan. I never achieved any of that for the most part. Obviously, the Afghan war and the entire American effort never achieved that. But we did have one really effective nation building, and that was surrounding Washington, D.C., which has seen their wealth exponentially explode since 9-11. Because wouldn't you know it, that's where the strategic cons consulting people live, that's where the military-industrial complex executives and mid-range managers live. So this was a great stimulus and nation-building program for those people, not for my soldiers who lost their lives and limbs for $30,000 a year.
So just back to what me and Lornette were talking about is wars are rich people's games. Um, and we need to start, you know, having solidarity with working class all over the, the world and, and stop playing these corporate games. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Lornette. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, follow us on Facebook at Q Culture One and Twitter at Q Culture at Q Culture Q U E Culture. Um, there we post the links to documentaries, books, and articles we mentioned on this episode. I think this is a really good time for you guys to follow us because we're going to post a lot of good articles on top of this. I think everyone should read the Afghanistan papers. Um, so we'll be sharing all that kind of stuff. So check that out. I'm also sharing a lot of interviews. We're gonna, we did our own interview with a veteran, but we'll share some videos with other interviews of Afghanistan veterans and things like that. So definitely check us out on social media. Um, also, don't forget to check out Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project, his book, Even the Faders. And if you're in the mood for some U.S. history, check out our monthly history edition episodes with the two of us and my brother, Steve. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember to question everything. Everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.